LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Kingsley Dennis, who joins us to discuss his book, Hijacking Reality, the Reprogramming and Reorganization of Human Life. There is an agenda to replace the current collapsing global narratives with a new consensus reality. To achieve this, a consensus reality paradigm must be socially managed and, if necessary, manipulated. The belief is that a global Great Reset is necessary, so why not take the upper hand and steer it into place? However, there are almost 8 billion people on Earth, and that is a lot of people to convince. Instead of trying to force the issue, what if you could make people believe in the story themselves? That way, they will agree that this is the worldview for them and adhere to it willingly. Hijacking Reality proposes that there are powerful players upon the planet attempting to establish a radical shift in our way of life. This shift entails being incorporated into a pervasive, digitized, techno-surveillance architecture that will fundamentally alter the future of human life. Such an ambitious project of social engineering on a global scale has never been achieved before, but is this what we are witnessing now? Hello and welcome, Kingsley, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks, Greg. Always good to be speaking with you. Yeah, it's not that long since we actually spoke uh, previously. Uh, listeners who are interested, they can uh, find all of our previous interviews linked up um, on the, the, this page, actually, the interview page at LegalizeFreedom.com. Uh, today we're going to be discussing your new book, uh, Hijacking Reality, uh, the Reprogramming and Reorganization of Human Life. Uh, before we jump into that... Uh, Give the listeners a brief bio of yourself and then just tell us about the development of the book. Yes, yeah, sure, Greg. Uh, well, as you know, um, I, my background is in sociology and I've, I've lived in various countries overseas and I did work for a time uh, in the sociology department at Lancaster University. But my main interests were in complex systems and uh, social systems and social consciousness and how they interact especially with communications, technology. And after examining that in the academic context, that is research, be a kind of freelance uh, researcher, my main interest was, well, I wanted to be autonomous. I wanted to have the freedom to research these areas and increasingly looking at the uh, impact uh, with human consciousness on material social systems. You could say how the intangible realm merges with the tangible realm and uh, how they both intertwine, which obviously I couldn't do in a, in a kind of educational setting. But obviously my work also shows how I progress. I'm looking at my major topic again is reality, is you know, how do we 
uh, process, interpret and participate with reality? And how does that reality change? And for many years, I was, I was looking more at the social transition, the, you know, the tipping points, uh, transformations and the breakdowns. Uh, but more recent, and also the psychology and how that affects the, the collective consciousness, individual consciousness. And then recently, my, my focus has been on the, like, the, how we build stories to make the consensus reality, you know, and does it work? And, and because of what's happened, especially in the last year, so according to what happened in the past year, then that changed my focus to look specifically at the consensus reality breakdown and coming out of that breakdown, how people are um, coping with trying to look at individual creations of, of what is their reality. And so that that's why the theme is based around reality, because that's a story that really uh, creates the the myth of, of the human present and the human future. So so the main themes um, from all my work has been looking at the patterns around human consciousness, social systems, and how we create the reality from that. Yeah, you mentioned this consensus reality breakdown or meltdown, and, and of the a lot of your work, uh, particularly over the last year, um, that's really been a key phrase, hasn't it? You've written lots of articles with that basically as the as the theme, uh, but this was also, I think that with, with everything that's happened in the last year, it's, it, it, what, what was happening prior to that almost seems to fade off into the distance, but this was a process that was already underway, wasn't it, prior? It's just that the the pandemic situation has really accelerated so many trends. Yeah, it's true, and I've, you know, because of my background in complex systems, when you, you have a lot of breakdown and breakthrough, I don't wish to be, you know, uh, tagged with the label of being the break, the breakdown guy. Um, but that theme is that, of course, to, to transition, uh, through history and through different periods, then we need those breakdown moments. And some of those breakdown moments are, are lesser and smaller historical events and some are larger. So, there's always there's always these breakdowns, but you know we live with them throughout our lives. There's small crisis points or larger critical points, so they're happening all the time, Greg, and and that's part of I guess you know evolutionary process that you have these you know bifurcations and and these breakdowns or breakthroughs. So yes, you're right. It's always been there, and we've talked, and many people have talked, and we have talked before about the breakdowns of the old the old systems that are not working. So we know that. But, of course, we all knew it was coming. We weren't sure how it would come or in what type of combination. Would it be just one or two major factors that would be the tipping point? Or what kind of combination? And that was always intrigued us to try to to kind of uncover that. So what we've seen really is that it's an acceleration of known factors. And we always knew there was a convergence of, let's say, uh, the economics, the uh social uh, system, the uh, global uh, networks, the communication, the technology, the well-being, the, the state of human welfare, all these systems were, you know, at, at various critical points. But what's been happening is that, as you say, rightly in the last 12 months especially, they've been accelerated. So it's not a question, I think, 
was surprising in some ways and how they've accelerated certain agencies and certain forces to fill that vacuum. Yeah, I mean, I'm reminded of our, our first interview some years ago now around your book with Phoenix Generation and you, you almost sound like the Kingsley Dennis was speaking about that book, you know, talking about the systems that were unsustainable. Um, so, you know, you've been charting the, these developments uh, for a long time. One thing that I find interesting, the point you made uh, in your new book is how th there's been this huge stop placed on society uh, because of the pandemic. I know so much activity has ceased or greatly reduced. You can say matter-of-factly, well, yes, of course, but it's been really interesting uh, psychologically, the effect that that's had. And I'm not talking about the, the common problems that people have had, you know, uh, being forced to stay at home or not being able to work, uh, maybe economic hardship, all sorts of things that people could never have predicted they're having to deal with. But just in terms of the collective psyche, really, it's like a game of musical chairs. You know, the music has stopped or like in The Matrix, which I recently rewatched when Morpheus and Neo are in the, the reality simulator, but Neo doesn't realize he is. And Morpheus says, freeze it. And everything just stops. Or it's like Gurdjieff's uh, uh, stop exercise, if you see what I mean. So it's been, I think it's been very interesting in the way that it's caused us to look inside ourselves. And of course, for some people, they really, really resisted that. Uh, it's a very, very uncomfortable feeling. True. I think the the core point there is the aspect of the, the psychological aspect. We really fully predict that. You've got to have all the top quantum computers doing all this modeling, but they can't fully predict uh, the effect, responses, and um, the consequences on a psychological, psychic uh, basis. Now, a lot of people have been talking, rightly so, analyzing the last 12 months in terms of 3D physical material effects, and so do I to some degree. But I think the... The way to really analyze it, to look at it, and also the way perhaps we can find ourselves to move through this has to be psychologically or psychically um, in an intangible way because uh, this is where the real, real essential effects are taking place. And you mentioned Gajif, um, the stop exercise, which is also something I pointed at. And Gajif used the stop exercise to create awareness in, in his students because we are, we are unconsciously going through movements and we're not really totally aware of what, you know, what we're doing because they become automate, automated movements. And so when you're put in a, from an outside impetus, like Gajif would walk into a room and shout stop and people, his students would not expect him to be there and you fall. And so you need, we need some trigger to really kind of jolt us. But when we're in that frozen moment, then there's a certain clarity that perhaps we, we couldn't get before because our senses were clouded by all the impacts and all the environmental noise, static distractions. And so, you know, we all, most of us, we all thought we knew what freedom was. Or we thought we knew what um, a, a kind of regular human life was like. We never for one moment thought that we could be put uh, under these 
restraints, both physically and psychologically. And that has to trigger us to, to really go inside because, um, you know, for the first part of the lockdown, many people were physically uh, reacting. You know, you needed movement, you were frustrated, you wanted to get out. And once you got past that, you moved into a psychological space where you had to find your own space and you had to recalibrate and rebalance what your needs were, um, you know, what your priorities were, how you would respond with your own self and therefore the people around you. And my sense is the only, you know, the, the way we need to, to really look at this is, is psychologically because that's where we create our stories from. That's where we create our sense of self from is our psyche or our psychological state, which is reflecting our inner state. And so for for so long, Greg, we've been receiving the outer world and responding to it rather than actually creating a, a inner, rather than putting out onto the world where we want to go. And so now there's a kind of, I wouldn't call conflict, or maybe a maybe a kind of tussle, a tussle of trying to find a new space between the external impacts, trying to rearrange us, and we are trying to rearrange ourselves psychologically, psychically, and uh, internally. And that's creating a bit of um, discomfort. And that's, I think, part of what's uh, what perhaps we're seeing. I've wheeled this quote out, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing it, but I've done this like maybe half a dozen times in the last year from Jung, basically uh, saying that that which, you know, is denied in the subconscious, that which we you know try to bury, it manifests itself in the world as an event or events. And there's been quite a lot written about this and talked about this, but I've never really felt Jungian analysis of our uh, of the collective human psyche to be more relevant really than it is at this time. Uh, it's like that that is which you seek to suppress always finds. It's a way out, you know, even so someone under stress and they get stomach ulcers, you know, it's like the mind suffers and the body cries out. And I think you could, that's what you see now on a global scale. Yes, I would agree. And I, I think I tried to look at that in previous work, healing the wounded mind. And my sense is, is that young is becoming ever more relevant. Not that he wasn't, but even so, I think young is, is really at the core of what's happening now. And Jung, for example, also said that what we're suffering from is a is a kind of totalitarian psychosis. Um, and I think I think what what Jung's trying to also make us recognise is that we are living in a participatory reality, and we perhaps don't credit to the fact of how much that you know we put out there, we contribute to to what's going on, and you know, there's now a lot of talk about the human shadow being projected onto the onto the world around us, and in that sense, you could say that there's a kind of um, cleansing uh, happening. That a lot of people now are throwing out these unconscious uh, tensions, these angst, and and you know, perhaps that needs to be thrown out to be moved through. So I think there's a a, a rightful call to to bring in young there, and that therefore puts the, the emphasis on our individual state. We always talk about the collective state and, you know, changing the world and, and putting action to change the world. 
whereas the real action, I think, needs to be individually. And I think in the Western psyche, there's this kind of fear of, of being selfish. Maybe it's come through, you know, centuries of, of religious and Protestant training that, you know, we should not put ourselves first. We should, you know, contribute to the greater whole. Well, my sense is, is that if, if the individual is coming from a fragmented, splintered or a wounded place, then whatever they're, they're putting into the world will also have remnants of that fragmentation and that wounding. So it's only fair to really uh, work on oneself first, to put oneself into a whole position, a whole space, and to make oneself, uh, to heal oneself. So therefore, when you are contributing to the collective, you're coming from a better space. Because, you know, wherever there's a, a space or a wound, something will fill it. As you say, nature abhors a vacuum. Points to two areas, Greg. In the physical world, there are forces or, or agency coming in to fill the vacuum in the physical, uh, in the physical world of power, which I've talked about. And I think psychologically, if we don't work to heal ourselves and come to a place within ourselves, something may come in to take that vacuum within ourselves. And that, for me, is a dangerous area. So I, I'm focusing now on the individual before we focus or put all the efforts on the collective. Yes, um, listeners may find my interviews with uh, Nick Duffel, particularly around his book, um, Wounded Leaders, uh, relevant here. But you talked about the totalitarian psychosis, the, the collective thing, and Jung has spoken of psychic epidemics. And um, my one of my concerns at this time is the place psychologically uh, where our, our leaders, so-called, are coming from, because whatever our own individual agency and control of our own lives is, there are a lot of, uh, of what happens to us and around us is, is out of our hands in a way, uh, not without naming individuals, but you can look across the world at people with their hands on the levers of power and have really genuine concerns about what they are bringing to their their decision making process. What they internally where where they're coming from. Yes, I mean I'm, I'm reminded uh, that with the work of Eric Fromm, which I find also very relevant, and maybe we've discussed this before, but his his pivotal work, the fear of freedom, and um, there are. Another another focus of my work over the years is is the nature of conditioning. Those forces, which perhaps you've alluded to there in your question, those forces which uh, impact a person and influence them, um, both consciously and mostly unconsciously. So whenever you know society, each person when born into a society, that is a that is a construct, and it's also a reality construct. And so there are certain kind of reality boxes that um, fit into that construct. And, and we are obviously conditioned from a very early age to fit into the reality construct of where we are born. And that then influences us. And there is an innate fear of breaking out of those security zones where we feel we should stay or be safe. Um, as from rightly said, is that we're always 
looking outside of ourselves at the chains and believing that, you know, we're putting chains outside, but we're actually putting chains inside of us. And it's those that we don't recognize. And because we don't recognize them, we're often putting our allegiance and our faith onto these decision makers or people with their hands on the levers. And that's, um, you know, that's a kind of, uh, in a sense, a weak decision, but it's a decision that we've been conditioned to, to believe is, is the better. Now, again, I think we're coming to, I think these times we're in, Greg, are going to be uh, forcing people to make some very clear decisions. Because things are, are becoming more transparent. And the, the breakdown in trust in the people who are supposed to be making those decisions and, and in high positions in, in our social systems, we're seeing a lot of incompatible decision making or something which is going against what we would call common sense. And we have to now, that's causing cognitive dissonance, I fear, in, in, in some people by, you know, they've been leading to trust these people, but they're seeing and they're sensing something isn't quite right. So we now have to really make decisions of where do we want to act and, and how do we want to act and, and how much faith and trust are we going to put into ourselves. And this is causing, I think, also a breakdown in social alliances because people are crystallizing their belief systems rapidly now. And, and although belief systems were slightly flexible, they were in a box, now they're becoming very crystallized. And so you may find yourself having this experience, you're talking with maybe friends or, or even family members, and if they have a different point of view, it's becoming a lot more rigid, and it's almost impossible to have a, a kind of uh, flexible debate with these people, you know, with, with a person who's on a different page. This rigidity is coming in, and it's forcing people to make more decisions and, and to respond. With so many things being up in the air at the moment, and you talk about people looking again at the situation, reassessing priorities, asking questions. We're being invited to, to look inside ourselves. You would, and, and the whole situation being rather fluid, you, you, but that contrast, as you say, with the rigidity that you've just spoken about, from the psychological level right through to the purely physical, um, the restrictions and everything that we've been dealing with, um, and this isn't just about pandemic, it just so happens that's what's been happening for the last 12 months, but people were very quick to start speaking about the situation or hoping the situation would be perhaps, I don't know, something like the Blitz in Britain during the Second World War and people coming together. And there, there's always a lot of that in, in difficult circumstances, but I've never, I've not witnessed separation and division mentally and physically in, in the way that we have experienced the last year. And when you look at uh, the other again, I talked earlier on about you know this, uh, these the trends that were already um, underway. Uh, you, you know, you look at the the political division uh, you see in many countries now, particularly in the USA. I mean, that grabs all the headlines because it's you know such an important country in uh, in terms of global uh, politics. But yeah, the, the 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 separation and division is is uncharacteristic of anything I've experienced in my life. Yeah, I think I think that's a very fair point. You hit on something there, that's the difference between, let's say, a physical um, a physical response and a psychological state. And now you talk about the Blitz um, in the in the middle of the of the twentieth century. Now 
people responded physically and you know that was i think that time there wasn't such the psychological in even even in the last half a century the psychological development is is, is advanced greatly uh you know within humanity because you know even at that time people were just starting to discuss let's say psychoanalysis and freud and and depth psychology of of young but it wasn't common knowledge it wasn't common vocabulary it was still within the specialist circles and now in the last they say in the last 60 or 70 years since then we've had a huge explosion on the public uh, arena of all these uh, psychological paths these um, transdisciplinary and trans psychological practices and most people are aware of these now and there's been a huge turnward inward so the inward turn the last 70 years has really shown that there's been a psychological development in in the uh, human consciousness and the public awareness and that also uh, goes with the forces of power so i you know if you look i used the work of uh, michel foucault the french theorist now he talked about power initially as disciplinary power power of over human bodies people were trained to obey by their physical obedience whether in the factory workplace in education um uh, in all these institutions and now these power has gone into these networks it's fluid it's gone into networks in the last i suppose 40 years or so or 50 years and now we're seeing that this is mingling with an internal psychological state and this response as you said is not just physically it's within it's an intra body and i feel now that there's a kind of all comes back to social management as well social management was more over the docile body but now it's over the psyche the psyche there's a psycho power which is you know prescient in the societies so we're seeing a, a kind of disruption a, a dis in in the human psyche as well as physical behavior so you still ha- you still seeing people responding outwardly we may see that by people going out onto marches people protesting or people's um having that response but also is having a much marked inward response and i feel that is both indicative of our of our times and also where the solutions may lie in that how do we come out of this maybe a psychological approach as i've as i've talked about so you're right there that we're not in the same space anymore we're not in just a physical space we are very much in a psyche collective psychological space and the more we understand and accept that the more we may realize um where we you know where everything is taking place script now your new book speaks a great deal about technology and uh the 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 technosphere as it were you know the the, the sort of information matrix that we're all immersed in now um no matter where we are in the world and you're talking there about that, that turn inward there was the idea has persisted even back to you know novels like uh, 1984 and Brave New World that the last kind of line of defense for the individual is that in their own mind it was one place that you could maintain control over you know and that any external um authority or threat could not penetrate you know your thoughts are your own you know i don't know exactly what you're thinking now you don't know exactly what i'm thinking and that's probably a good thing if you see what i mean you know we have that 
And you, you'll see people who've been imprisoned, for example, for a long time, and that they talk about going inward and having that last line of defense. But in your handling of technology in the book, uh, you, you speak a lot about the uh, intrusions that we're now experiencing into the interior, as it were, and how that's been enabled by technology, and that, um, that the, this concept of the sovereign individual is under threat. Yes, and I, I you know, um, I sense that you can't avoid it, that you have to see this acceleration of technology. Um, now, really, Philip K. Dick, the sci-fi writer, got there before most of us. You know, he was, you know, he saw what was coming. And, for example, um, the well-known film, The Minority Report, which was made on Philip K. Dick's book, short story, sorry, um, about the precogs, you know, trying to, trying to uh, arrest a person for a crime they haven't committed because you know they're going to commit it later. And that's almost where we're going. And it's a sense of the the systems of social management respond according to the state of the population of, of people. In the past, when people were, uh, you know, they were physically living most of their lives within their communities or their nation states, this was before the, the era of global communications, you could physically manage these people. You could more or less know how you could um, keep them in order according to the you know, state authority. Now the whole situation has changed. And the, the let's say, the people who, uh, the social management, understand this very well, is that now we have, a, we have an increasing population with access to uh, burgeoning information through these communications and also an increase in awareness, as I said, a kind of growth of the psychological depth of humanity. It's almost as if that people are accessing more of the collective consciousness and picking up more intuitive understanding. They're growing inwardly, They're, even if it's not con- even if it's not consciously uh, understood or aware. We're growing inwardly and picking up on a lot more um, kind of sense of, of self and, and the sovereign self. So if you have a changing world with a burgeoning population, uh, many social systems on the verge of collapse, and you know you have the hardware to control or manage people physically, but you know that really where the where the danger is in, in terms of um, having a, a managed populace is in their psyche, exactly in the way they think because. You know, their consciousness patterns will create their response more so than the physical reaction. And so we see these technologies, which I call kind of intra-bodily, the psychopower. And there, there, um, there was a, the Korean German philosopher Han who talked about psychopolitics, that now politics is trying to get, persuade you to, you know, get inside your mind so they know how you think. Well, I think it's, you know, that's the same thing all across the board. There's a kind of uh, increase of psycho power where they're trying to influence people within, because that's where the real game changer is. And the technologies are turning inward. If we look now at, you know, the hardware has become software. That's where the real influence is. And so now we're having wearables, which are tracking biological data. And we're seeing the rise of biological data because that's been accelerated in the last 12 months. So they... Now, for example, they can put a, a, let's say, for example, hypothetically, they put a tracking app 
um, which can track your state of health inwardly, your um, metabolism, and how you and how you are inwardly. So they have knowledge and data over that. So and also Professor Zuboff talked about this in powerful work Surveillance Capitalism. And great in her work Surveillance Capitalism, she was saying that you know the collection of data has gone from outward behavior to to wearables to get um, bio data. And if you look at all the all the major tech companies, Google and Apple and Facebook, they've invested huge amounts in in um, bio data companies. So you see, the technology is going from hardware into uh, interbody data, intra um, technologies. So I mean, it's not a conspiracy theory. The the trends are there. The technological trends are going further into the human body, and that's why I talk about the weak body syndrome. Is that the more that the the general consensus narrative talks about um, the vulnerability of the human body, then the more they it can persuade people that there's a validity for technologies to enhance the human body. So there's lots of agendas coming into that kind of very slippery road going from outside the physical body to in- inside the physical, biological body. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>